Hello and thanks for joining me on Search for Truth Radio. This week, Bran will be bringing us the second of our 14 studies on the awesome sovereignty of God. The series and book title is Our God Reigns. Today, Brian spans some Old Testament Bible history uh, with the flood, the Tower of Babel and God's choice of Abraham. Now, sometimes when we think of who God is and how the Bible describes him, we may become confused because we consider him from our position of being human. Although the Bible says we were made in his image or in the likeness of God, our sin has distorted that and also distorted our thinking about God. We must never think of God in our likeness or in terms of how we are. The comparison is not interchangeable. A true appreciation of just who God is is largely beyond us, but a fuller enjoyment of our knowledge of God will undoubtedly make our Christian lives deeper and more meaningful. So, now let's delve into the Bible history with Brian. Thanks, John. The Bible's description of the global flood at the time of Noah is introduced to us as follows, from Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Wait a minute, did God just say that he was sorry? Does or can an unchanging God change his mind? In the Old Testament, humans are only recorded repenting half a dozen times. For example, when Job says, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. But when translated as to repent like this or to be sorry, the word, as at the Genesis flood, is usually used of God. But surely God has nothing to retract or even to regret. The fact remains, however, that in far more than 30 other similar uses, the same word refers to the repentance of God, always having to do with his judgment. Equivalent New Testament words, meaning repent or repentance, have God as a subject only twice, and negatively at that, as in, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind or not repent. You are a priest forever, as Hebrews 7, and also the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, or unrepented of, Romans 11.29. In the interests of communication, God is at times and in some ways described in human terms, which can be misleading, of course, for there can never be an exact correspondence. And there seems to be another layer of confusion when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 15, for there God is twice said to have repented or regretted something and twice it is said that he would never do such a thing, that is, never repent or change his mind. It's the same word. Now, what's going on? Well, here are the Bible's words spoken to King Saul. Strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. So Saul defeated the Amalekites. 
But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. So Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbour who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So God is twice said to have done this, and twice it's said that he would never do such a thing, that thing being repentance. How can we resolve this? The answer is, God does not repent as we humans may repent. But there is a sense in which he repents. At the root of the word in question is the expressive idea of giving a sigh, with the implication of being sorry. However, it doesn't have to be a guilty, regretful sorry, as when we say, oh, I am so sorry. It can be the type of sorrow felt by a parent when disciplining their child. It's not that the parent is unsure of his or her own actions, but could have wished the child's actions had been different. When humans repent, they have a personal sense of having fallen short, and they feel this possibly with intense emotion, and it brings about a change in their behaviour. Here again is the case of King Saul. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord. Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I have sinned, but please honour me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. That's 1 Samuel 15, 24 to 30. The extent of any real repentance by Saul is in fact questionable here, as it seems more like a lame excuse, as if he was saying to Samuel, why don't we let bygones be bygones? By contrast with God, when the same word is used, we find that it's in the sense of others having fallen short. And about this, God sighs. He sighs, as it were, with intense emotion, and he may adjust the timing of his judgment. It was in this sense that we read earlier, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. God was sorry not for anything that he'd done, but for what they'd done. And of course, God wasn't surprised by human wickedness, as though he never expected it. It wasn't the case that in retrospect he'd rather have avoided its occurrence. Not at all. In his sovereign foreknowledge, he knew beforehand, but still he expresses pain when it occurs. God sighs with sorrow. He feels pain when executing judgment. God was sorry, not for anything he'd done or wished he'd done otherwise, but for what they'd done. In his sovereignty, God can, and does at times, choose to change the timing of any judgment that's due. Here's an example of that from the prophet Amos. The Lord showed me 
He was forming a locust swarm. I said, Lord God, please pardon. The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. The Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. I said, Lord God, please stop. The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. The Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. Then the Lord said, I will spare them no longer. That's Amos chapter 7. That was two stays of execution, as it were. But fundamentally, God doesn't go back on his word, only modifying the timing of his actions in a sovereign expression of self-control. In the case of Saul earlier, in 1 Samuel 15, God doesn't revoke his underlying decision to let Israel have a king. The change is purely a tactical change to a better king. God deals with us as a potter deals with the clay in his hand. There may be some variation in tactics, but no alteration to the overall strategy. We are told to pray, but not that it can change God's mind. God is immutable and cannot be influenced by anything that's not from himself. Through Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Now, it certainly would be unfair if God didn't recognise times when humans do change through the intervention of God's own sovereign grace. Take the well-known case of Nineveh. Its doom didn't materialise in Jonah's day. But later the prophet Nahum wrote about it. God's attitude against sin is always the same, but his attitude to the sinner corresponds with how he himself has changed the sinner's attitude to sin. It's precisely that which shows God's consistency. Our research into this topic, you remember, started out from the way the Bible introduces God's decision to destroy the world with a flood. The words of Psalm 29 can be applied there. Psalm 29 and 10 says, The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Not long after the flood, we come to the scattering of the nations of earth at the Tower of Babel, another major and obvious sovereign intervention by God into human affairs. We read in Genesis 11 verse 1, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. God stepped in, because the nations of the world had shut him out of their plans. Now in the next chapter of Genesis, God shuts out the nations from his plans by beginning again with one man. It had been Adam, then it was Noah, and now it's Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. These are all times when the unchanging God radically changed the course of history. Thanks, Brian. I chose today's hymn because it reminds us of the fact that God doesn't change and he loves us dearly. In all our circumstances of life, we can rely absolutely upon the power and sovereignty of God. So we can, with great confidence, lay hold on life and it shall be our joy and crown eternally. I hope you enjoyed Brian's talk today. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian, then do write in. And here's how to obtain the book. Just write and ask for the title, Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, it's been a delight to enjoy your company today. Thanks for giving your time to be with me. Next week, the title of Brian's talk is God's Butterfly. It's still more about God's sovereignty. So I look forward to you joining me. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.